Oddies, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel, most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in. This petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a waking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets this hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot or idiots. Uh, full of sound and fury, signifying absolutely nothing. Zach and our audience, this is Rob, if you couldn't tell. That is a quote from the fifth scene of the fifth, fifth act of Macbeth, which, of course, has the phrase sound and fury in it, which is where William Faulkner gets his title for his seminal album, the sound and the fury. And yes, I am beginning this entire conversation by saying that William Faulkner's The Sound and the Fury, one of the greatest literary masterpieces of all time, is the literary equivalent of the movie we're discussing today, which is none other than Spring Breakers. I just want to let that sit with Zach and our audience for a little bit. You know, just let it rest. Just let it, you know, give it, give it some time. And you now, Zach. This, folks. And now, Zach, what do you think about that introduction to this film? Oh, it's as highly appropriate. It's as appropriate as anything in this movie is, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the only thing I could have done is added some of Spring Break Forever in there. <laughs> forever. Spring break, spring break, spring break forever. <laughs> so, Rob, where do we want? So, I guess if people haven't already read the title of the episode, <laughs> I know well, I don't. I, I I was figuring I would do this grandiose thing and then hand it over to you because this is Zach's choice. This is our palate cleanser from the. The nonsense of Avengers and Marvel Cinematic Universe that we've been discussing, I think, prior to this episode. Um, but this is Zach's choice. Uh, this is a movie I never would have saw unless it was because of Zach's intervention, which is why I've watched it now twice. And so, Zach, I, I figured, you know, with my citing Macbeth as a tangent to Faulkner, as a tangent to what is it, Harmony Corinne is the guy who yes. directed this? Yes, Harmony Corinne. Yes, so I, I, I am good by saying for the remainder of this episode, I don't need to discuss anything. Uh, I've connected Macbeth to Faulkner to Corinne. So, Zach, it's all yours. <laughs> well, it's the first time for everything, I guess. We are talking about 2013 Spring Breakers starring Selena Gomez... James Franco, Vanessa Hudgens, Ashley Benson, and the director's wife, Rachel Corinne, which is actually a funny story behind that, but we'll get to that in due time. 
this is one of those films that I think it's physically impossible to actually give a point by point breakdown of the plot. I think we'd lose our minds if we tried explaining that to our audience. Yeah, I think the only thing you can say about this movie really is colors. You're going to see a lot of colors <laughs> and repetition. Well, I mean, you know, that just goes without saying. That's one of the best things we have on the Cinemodities podcast is repetition. <laughs> and an insane amount of tits and ass. Well. Like insane levels of I tits do, and I ass. I do have to say that I, this might be the first movie we've we've talked about on Cinemodities that has such a gratuitous level of nudity that it is appropriate for Cinemodities, right? <laughs> I, I guess I'm trying to think we I, we're not really big on on nudity. Yeah, we haven't done. I think if, if you know if anything we've talked about has had nudity, it's been fairly minor. Whereas you know in this movie, nudity plays a major role. I I would say. Yes, it's it's ubiquitous in this film for the most part. Because it's spring break. Spring break. It's like a dream. <laughs> okay, so. Okay, context time. So, how I learned about this movie was oh, I, rem- I uh, when you say context, are you talking history? Uh, right now, how I how I learned about the movie. So, yes, I guess that's okay. History. So, th- this is something that I think that you know. Before you get into it, I want to just highlight that this is a movie. I think I already mentioned. I would never have watched if it wasn't for Zach. I I think right before I moved away from Zach forever, I remember I looked Zach in the eyes and I said, Zach, you are a dangerous human being. I need to get away from you. And I moved across the country to different time zones. But yet he still found me. But before I left, he gave me a DVD. I can't even tell this story with a straight face. (laughs) He, He gave me a DVD that had Spring Breakers and Piranhas 3 Double D. Like, <laughs> of course you, I did. You made a whole menu and everything. Like when I was able to plug this into my like PS3 way back in the day, I was able to like g- scroll through a menu to choose which movie I wanted. I was blown away. But but that's where kind of my history with this begins. Is that z- this is a truly a Zach's choice. I never would have watched this. I never think I even would have heard about it. If it wasn't for Zach. And I have a very specific story about the first time I watched this. But I don't know if that's going to coincide with Zach's story. So I would like, Zach, the floor is yours. The story for your history with Spring Breakers is first. How did you find this? And why in the hell did you pair this with Piranhas 3 Double D <laughs> with me like a year after it came out? <laughs> Actually... How I found out about this was I'm I don't specifically remember, but I, I have the, the my earliest memory of this was I'm pretty sure it debuted at the Toronto Film Festival in 2012, mm-hmm. and that's you go why. To that? go to no, that? I, no, I did not go to that. You don't go uh, to that every year. I do not go to that every year. Toronto's one of the better film festivals, though. If you oh. if you do if you do have a chance, to, that's usually where you get a lot of the the Oscar contenders. You get a good look at them because Sundance is Sundance is better than than most of them, but that's still kind of. A lot, a lot of weird stuff at Sundance, but Toronto is kind of where you get your first feel for like what Oscar season's going to be. Okay. It's usually it's usually late September. And, and you go to the you go to the Cannes Film Festival, right? Yes. That's your your home As soon base? as someone's will, yes, as soon as someone's willing to pay for my flight and accommodations in France, I would be more than happy to uh, cover the Cannes Film Festival. <laughs> Once our aristocrat Aristocats French episode drops, we'll get all that funding. <laughs> that sweet, sweet French cat money. 
Actually, if I was clever, I should have said French feline. That was honey. good. <laughs> feline, yes. French feline. <laughs> so I remember, like, it debuted there. And I think even the summer of 2012, like, I saw, like, a, like some, like, oh, God, like, paparazzi pictures. And it was like, oh, there's a movie that's being made with, like, Selena Gomez in a bikini. It's like, well, you have my attention now. <laughs> and, and I think that was kind of the first time it blipped on my radar. But so going back to Toronto, I remember I had the – um as I've mentioned numerous times on here, when I was in college, I had my two uh, cinema professors and they went to Toronto every, every year and, to, to cover it because they were um, professional movie critics. And I remember when they came back, like I asked them, like, obviously I always ask them like, what films are you going to see? And I could, and when they came back, they told me like one of the films that he really talked about, and we'll discuss this further someday was Clad Atlas. And oh, I still, yes. And I still yes. Remember, and I still yes. Yes. Of course, Clyde Atlas gets that response from Rob. Yo, we're gonna we're gonna do a whole episode on the movie. We're gonna do a whole episode on the book. We're gonna do a whole episode on all of David Mitchell's other books that they should turn into movies. Oh my God, Zach! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right then, and I can still remember him telling me about Clyde Atlas. He's like, "This movie, this is a very experimental movie. There's nothing quite like it, but people will be talking about it." Cut to two months later, it royally bombs at the box office. And I asked him, I said, what happened to Clad Atlas? He's like, I could have sworn people would have been talking about it if they actually saw it. And, and just so everybody knows, I saw Cloud Atlas at midnight when it came out. I was, I was there. I was yeah, ready. Back when they still did midnight showings of movies. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Uh, before a guy in Colorado ruined it for everybody. That wasn't Rob. Rob wasn't living in Colorado at that time, so it's okay. Yes, and and I have never lived in Aurora. Aurora is where it took place. I've never been there. I've never lived there. See, folks, I don't don't know why we. Why do we feel the need to tell our audience that I wasn't a theater shooter? (laughs) You're the you're the one that made it that specific. I just said a guy in Colorado ruined it for everybody. I didn't make it that specific. You're the one that. I'm sorry. You're right, Zach. You're right. You're right. Zach Zach's taking advantage of me in the worst way. (laughs) So, um, but anyway, though, back to the Toronto discussion. I asked him, like, "Oh, did you see Spring Breakers?" And his response was, "I don't like seeing movies that like are going to get a theatrical, like like a super theatrical release because it's going to be available." But I asked him, like, "What?" Because because when it debuted at Toronto, like Selena Gomez was there, Justin Bieber was there, and that was like, like and apparently, like they like cl- she. I remember him telling me that they had like. Like, don't get me wrong, there's people there, but like it was insanely super duper congested because you had all these teenage girls just waiting for 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 Justin Bieber. And you had to kind of like that was like the, he said the talk of the town one night was the Spring Breakers premiere, but he didn't see it. And that was kind of my my second introduction beyond the Selena Gomez paparazzi photos. And then came March of, of twenty thirteen when this was released. And I remember it actually came out the week of my spring break in college. And I like I saw the trailers of it and it looked weird, which at that point, like my taste in weird movies obviously was definitely there. Yeah. And I remember I, I, I remember I think I was oh god, I think I saw it like eleven o'clock in the morning. Like possibly the worst time to see this movie. <laughs> like a morning showing. <laughs> and I remember seeing it and I knew I know because we'll get into this in a moment or two, but like I knew going into it it wasn't gonna be a party or a, what's it called? A, a party axe. Or or twenty one and over, yeah. or one of these like this like, like an American Pie movie. 
Like I knew it wasn't going to be that. I knew this was going to be a weird movie based on the reviews I was reading. So mm-hmm. I go see the movie. I remember thinking that like I, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't like the super duper like mind trip that I was expecting. Okay. And I've always enjoyed it since. I remember like when I was in college, there was a kid that I was really close friends with. Him and I were like, it's weird. I met him sophomore year because he was a friend of my roommates. And he, I remember he almost got us in trouble because he had a traffic cone and he was throwing it at the ceiling so hard that people above us complained. <laughs> keep in mind, I lived on, the, keep in mind, I lived on the, Keep in mind, I lived on the 13th floor of, like, a 22-story dormitory, like, tower. But that's how I knew the kid. He was, like, he was like royally obnoxious when I first met him. But over, like, the next couple of years, him and I, like, were in the same, like, like wow. marketing program. And I remember he was, like, a big Selena Gomez fan. Okay. So I remember – okay, so I remember we had class together. It was after so – like, we, we all came back from spring break. And somehow spring break, break. spring break, forever bikinis and big booties, y'all. That's what life is about. It's like a dream. <laughs> uh, we, we need we need to insert numerous times throughout this episode. The uh, the, what's it? The the gun, the click click, like the kind of like the oh yeah, the, the gun yeah. version of the Law and Order. Dun dun. It's the yeah, for every scene transition. Yep. Every scene transition. And, but I remember him talking, and somehow Spring Breakers came up as a conversation. We, we were in some group project, which is a story in and of itself, but we won't get into that. And I remember it came up during a group project about Spring Breakers, and he's like, That movie was awful. I paid $10 to see Selena Gomez in a bikini, and I get, the, I get a trippy balls to the wall movie. And I was like, No, this movie was great. Don't you dare say anything about it. This movie was sheer brilliance. And he's like, Tell me what it's about. And I'm like, Uh, 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 uh. uh it's about the fucking desire to be terrible and live with yourself. It's great. It's about That's- the realization that you are horrible, but you are surviving. That's one interpretation of it. <laughs> and I think and I remember getting into an argument with him. And, we, and the fun thing is that we were it was him and I in a group of four other girls. So he were the only two, we were the only two guys. And we we're having an argument over this movie that was kind of like referred to like, like people knew what it was. But it was kind of like considered trash. So we're and in the there, background, in the background, they're going spring break. <laughs> <laughs> and just screaming at each other about the merits of this movie. <laughs> and that's pretty much my entire experience with that movie because i remember even telling other people like i saw it during like people would ask me like oh what did you do during your spring break i'm like i saw spring breakers and they're like wow i wouldn't figure you would have gone for that type of movie and i'm like it's not what you think it's not project x it's not the dude bro movie it's not piranhas three double d no it's not piranha (laughs) three double d but piranha (laughs) three double d is a masterpiece in its own right oh yes so, so Zach, with that being your history, and I understand what you're saying, do you remember when you gave me the DVD with Spring Breakers on it? Because yeah, I like, honestly don't. Yeah, it was like it was August of 2013. It was like right before you left, because it came out on DVD in July, and I remember I like I got a copy from the library. And See I, that uh, would, but but 2013 would have been left for Ohio. Yeah, because I so it was it was after I had gone to Pittsburgh for three yeah. years. And then I came back and I said, Zach, I hate you so much. I'm moving even further away. And you said, take this DVD. Yeah, basically. <laughs> That's exactly how it went down. Every I'm big pretty move, sure. 
Folks, every big move in my life has been to get further away from Zach. <laughs> no, okay, because that makes sense. Because with that lead-in, I would now like to give my history with Spring Breakers. Is that okay? Is that acceptable, Zach? Or are you going to numchuck me? No, but I, like I said before, I only would have known about this movie because of Zach. I, I don't think I ever would have heard about this, and I never would have watched this. Because I think of a lot of the same uh, kind of descriptions that gave, where people are like, you know, oh, it's Project X or it's that type of movie. I'm sure that's what I would have thought about it. But Zach told me otherwise. Zach gave me this DVD. He gave me this double feature of Spring Breakers and Piranhas 3 Double D. And he was like, you really should watch Spring Breakers. And I remember him telling me all these stories about, you know, how he had certain feelings on it and his cinema professor's you know, would talk about it or things like that. Yeah, they hated it. Yeah, and, and I just, in my head, I kind of got this image that this movie was very controversial, at least from what Zach had told me. And because I was moving away from Zach, I was like, I took the DVD and I kind of threw it in a box and I forgot about it because I was like, oh God, Zach, is, Zach just wants me to install a virus on whatever, whatever thing I put this disc into. But... Uh, I actually ended up watching it in a very specific situation that ties back in to late night movies, which is why I want to tell this story. So one night I'm living in Ohio, which is after 2013. This was probably early 2014. If I had to take a guess, I'm in my apartment, you know, just chilling out and I'm watching house. This was the time period when I lived in Ohio. I watched all eight seasons of house straight through. And I was in the middle of an episode of House at like 1 a.m. And there's a knock at my door. And I'm very anxious about this because why the hell should anybody be knocking at my door? I always get paranoid. Like if anybody's trying to get my attention that late at night, it's because I was too obnoxious with my weed smoking or my music is too loud. And so I thought the worst. But it turns out that at my door was my buddy Ben. And I know Ben listens to this podcast, and he's going to love hearing the story about himself. But Ben knocked on my door at 1 in the morning and said, Hey, Rob, I locked myself out of my apartment, so I walked over here. Can I spend the night? (laughs) And I said, Yeah, sure, Ben. Ben lived in the same town, Athens, Ohio, but a good two and a half miles from me. He, He walked a distance. But I said, of course, Ben, you can you can come in because, you know, you apparently you locked yourself out of your apartment, whatever. But eventually, I would say about 3 a.m., we said, well, maybe we should watch something. And for some reason, it jumps into my head that I have Spring Breakers on DVD. I put the Spring Breakers disc into my PS3, and Ben and I, for the next 90 minutes, watched Spring Breakers. So this is one of the first occurrences. I want to make sure Zach and our audience understands. This is one of the first occurrences of a late night movie. I had someone in my clutches because they had locked themselves out of their apartment. And I chose to watch Ring Breakers with them. And let me tell you, before I get your opinion on this, Zach, because I know you have a lot to say. When we finished this movie, we looked at each other and we went... Eh. <laughs> we were not very happy with what we just watched that first viewing. And that's where I want to take a pause 
in my history with Spring Breakers and ask Zach, what do you think about that? What do you think about the late night movie aspect of it, that I used it in that way? And what do you think about an initial viewing of neutrality, of kind of (laughs) maybe a lack of understanding of what it was truly about? Okay, I gotta just say for the record, I I do not consider this movie sacred. Maybe I've built this up to in the summer of 2013, uh, almost six years ago. I guess maybe I built this up a little too much. I don't I don't know if I I thought you believed it was sacred, but I knew it as something you had given me and said watch it, and that that meant a lot to me. I guess I should say. Well, okay, I, I know where he's coming from from that in that perspective. Because in 2013, again, I was in college. I was watching different things. But there, because, oh, how do I, okay, I don't want to get too far into my history with this. I do want to talk about the movie uh, 45 minutes into this, into this discussion later. <laughs> uh, but, no, the reason why I kind of got so enamored with this, it was that, it was, at that point, it was kind of rare to see this thing, like, in a theater. Like, if this was, like, a video-on-demand title, I would have been like, eh. I think that's one thing about me is that if I if I see something like this on the big screen, it gets me a little bit more excited. Sure. And like, like I said, I saw it at 11 a.m., so not ideal circumstances. But I think that's probably the reason why I got so excited about it. Because I saw it in the theater that one time. And as you're watching this, and again, it, it, the sound, again, the sound of this thing, you really can't appreciate it unless you either have a proper sound system or you do have a, a movie theater that's calibrated to do it right, especially with uh, how much Skrillex and dubstep there is in this. <laughs> I was just about to say, Zach loves that Skrillex on the big screen. <laughs> well, no, but think about it, though. You really can't get that bass. Like, think about it. A movie theater can do bass in a way that most conventional home theaters can't. Oh, yeah, Never, never mind watching it on a TV set. And yeah. I think that's probably the reason. At that point, I prob- well, obviously that Rob guy, I had seen it again on home video. And I've always, I've always had a weird affinity for this movie. Like I would never, I would never rank this like in my top fifty or one hundred. It was, that, it's never, it's not that kind of movie. It's, it's kind of like the predecessor to things like Under the Skin mm-hmm. or Spring. I don't think I've talked to her all about Spring. Spring, yeah, I don't know that one. Spring's, a, Spring is my gem. Nobody knows about Spring but me. It's possibly one of the greatest movies ever made. We'll get to that in due time. Maybe a monster in the near future, oh. but. I've always been fascinated by this because, again, you do have that hook. The marketing hook is there. You have Selena Gomez in a bikini. That, that's your hook. You don't need anything else. And I'm kind See, of amazed. I think, I think the hook is Vanessa Hudgens in a bikini. Like, who's like, fuck well, Selena Gomez? Well, Vanessa Hudgens was kind of a has been by this time. Like, this is 2013. Oh, High that's school musical was over. <laughs> well, no, I, I, got, I got nothing against Vanessa Hudgens. Like I said, she's, she, she did something with music recently that I've been listening to. And she kind of shows up here and there and things, but no, but by but like when this was being made in the spring of 2012, it was released in the spring of 2013. Think about it, Selena Gomez was a a got a cultural figure like that's sure, still because sure. even now, like if you look at her music, she's kind of considered a pop has been like not has been. She's treading water. Mm-hmm. She really doesn't do anything else. She has her little box that she stays in. Yeah. And that's pretty much yeah. it when it comes to her music. She's not even doing anything even exciting in the pop realm anymore. And now that Justin Bieber has like what isn't Justin Bieber married? I think he's Possibly. married. Yeah. Possibly. <laughs> yeah. Justin Bieber he's no longer kind of messing with her. <laughs> I mean, not to me, but <laughs> <laughs> so that's no. all I can say. <laughs> but no, to like actually discuss the film. When when I saw this, I don't even remember what my initial thought of it was. I really, I usually have a pretty good idea of what my memory is. Walking my initial like first impression, 
and I don't remember what it was. I kind of like Rob said. I've kind of built this movie up as this kind of this thing where like you have like you have to see it to believe it. You can't you can't read a review on this. Movie. Yeah, you have to yeah. you have to, you have to experience it. You can't just sit there and say, oh, uh, uh, Rotten Tomatoes says this. Next, it's it's not that type of movie. And I I remember like Rob said. I told my I remember my cinema professors. They knew Harmony Corinne. They they hated him. They <laughs> I think most people hate Harmony Corinne. And they, I remember telling them about this and they were, I mean, they were the definition of spoiler phobes. I remember one kid once like spoiled the ending to Argo to them. And oh, one of the God. teachers, almost, I mean, like she like almost bit his I, head off. I, I think we talked about it before and I'm not ready to go into the full rant mode, but I hate people that are bitches about spoilers. That's probably the best way to put it. I hate it. Yeah, and that's and that's how they were. So I remember like telling them because like I remember they asked me to like how like did you see Spring Breakers? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, how was it? And I tried telling them. I'm like, I don't know how to describe. I, I told them basically, I'm going to tell the audience. I don't know how to describe this movie. Mm-hmm. It's kind of all over the place and what it's trying to get at. And, and I'm like, can I say the ending? And they're like, we don't. Like, and they hate. I said, hate spoilers. So like, tell us the ending. We don't care. And I, the only thing that I could, my really, my only analysis on this is I, I sat through the entire movie trying to make sense of it the first time. And again, it's all over the freaking place. The repetition, the, the noises, the, the, oh my Lord, the colors, the performances, James Franco giving possibly the greatest career performance of not just his career, but maybe every other actor. Like again, that <laughs> alien performance is, is one for the ages. And I remember watching it, and at the very end, the movie ends, and you have the Ellie Golding lights. Yeah, that's what it's called, the light song. Yep. That yep. At, this, at this point in spring of 2013 was kind of not that it had been played out, but like it was kind of the summer jam of 2012. And I remember hearing them like, oh, he made fluff. I'm like, this is all superficial nonsense. There, there is no meaning to this. He made a 90-minute long movie, and he ends it with the most sugary, superficial, mm-hmm. void pop song you could possibly imagine. And I'm like, it makes perfect sense. I'm like, he's admitting that there's no point to this entire thing. And a lot of the reviews I've read and listened to for this, a lot of people are trying to find the meaning in this, as if there is like not not like a racer head. Let's try to find the meaning in this. <laughs> but, pe- yeah. but people are trying to discern some sort of theme that he's trying to get at here. And a lot of times, most of the reviews come down to the argument of: Is he advocating for the debauchery of Spring Break, or is he against it? And I know in some of the interviews Harmony Corinne did, he's like, oh, I made this film so I can live vicariously and get to experience the spring break I never got to, that, that most people get to experience in their late teens, early 20s. And I, and, I don't, <laughs> and I don't even think it's that, that deep of a film. I think um, I've never seen any of – I've seen Kids, which isn't a Harmony Corinne – He's, he wrote that movie. Okay. He didn't direct it. And Kids is the film where you have the guy who's like going around spray, spreading AIDS to everybody in New York City. Great. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever seen Kids? No, no, not at all. You'd like uh, you you would oh god what do the kids call it? You would hate love that movie. <laughs> Probably butthurt about it. No, you wouldn't be butthurt. You would hate love that movie. Okay. You would like you'd be angry about it, but you'd have a lot to chew on. Okay. Uh, kids, kids is kids is a frustrating movie to watch, but it, there isn't really anything else. Like it's about it's about a kid, and he's about I don't know fourteen, and he has because because oh god, how do I just oh, Rob's gonna love this description <laughs> of it. He's gonna absolutely eat this up. 
the I guess spoiler alert for a film that's like 20, 20 years old, possibly even older. It's about a kid who doesn't know he has AIDS, but it takes place in New York City during the kind of like the the nineties AIDS epidemic, and he's afraid of contracting AIDS. So he's but he already has it but doesn't know it. So he only has unprotected sex with other virgins. So he basically spreads AIDS to all these girls. And like one of the I forget who's in that. Who is in that movie? There's an actress that that's prominent in that. Not not super prominent now. And like the final shot of that movie is that she gets she gets tested. She finds out she has AIDS, and she like goes somewhere. And she like goes to her friend's house or apartment, and like the final shot of the movie is of the same guy like raping her friend as she's passed out. And that's like the final shot of the movie. It's like, oh god, I'm like this is this is such an icky icky movie. And that and that's kind of was, I think that was his first project in Hollywood Harmony. That was his first project period, and it's the most like icky thing to be associated with. And that's why most people hate him. They hate him for that movie because it, it's a well made movie. Like it's good it's good performances. But it's very much you can tell it's his it's his signature. And then he made things like a gumbo about like a, a deformed kid. Then he did trash humpers. Rob, do you know about trash humpers? I do not. I I really, you know, when in preparation for this, I looked up some stuff about Harmony Corinne and I found nothing as intriguing as what you said to me so far. <laughs> yeah, Rob, Rob would like Harmony Corinne's filmography if I had to guess. Like that, I, I'm shocked that Rob does not. It's not like Zach, the Harmony Corinne filmography. <laughs> like I'm surprised that that's not like that's not something he like, that's not his bible. That could have been more Marge Simpson if I if I do say myself. <laughs> Could have oh, went my, a little, you could have went a little more Marge on that one. <laughs> I could have, but I won't be able to talk the rest of the episode because I'd be coughing. Uh, oh, you, you, and you and everybody you know with their voices hurting them. Let's get some real voice actors on our podcasts. <laughs> but no, like that's that's the thing with Spring Breakers is that I really outside. Like, don't get me wrong. There, there is the more and more I watch this, and like every other Spring Break season, I'll put this on. <laughs> and I'll watch it. And I do. I find this movie fascinating. This is like me and Goosebumps. Every October, I watch all of Goosebumps. Every spring break, Zach watches Spring Breakers. breakers. <laughs> oh, it was. I, can, I, I remember in um, college, that, that was my ritual. It's like I used to tell people, that, like, oh, I live vicariously through the Selena Gomez movie. And because most people didn't know what it was. So they didn't require much uh, conversation or follow-up. But no, <laughs> so like... Like as I watch this now a couple times, like even like when I, bought, I finally bought the Blu-ray in like 2015, and where they filmed, I remember in 2015 I bought it when I was on when I was visiting my brother in Florida, and the reason why I had to buy it was because they filmed it on the same beach where he was living at the time. Ah, because nice. they filmed they feel like like, he, like Alien says in the movie they they're in Saint they're on Saint Pete Beach. Saint Pete's, yep. And that's where my brother was living at the time. So I remember even explaining cool. to him, I'm like I'm like I wonder if this is the same like because Saint, Saint Pete Beach is. It's Len- it's it's a long strip of beach. Yeah, I remember. I remember like asking him. I'm like, do you know anything about that? He's like, no. And I remember telling him about the movie, and I, and I tried to explain. He's like, what's it about? And I'm like, I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> I really don't know how to describe it. Um, basically, it's the last thing that you'd expect, really, about a movie like this. And uh, yeah, like I said, there, there's elements of this movie that I really dig. I think the Skrillex. At this point, Rob, you're the music person. In 2013, where were we in the Skrillex dubstep world? Like, was dubstep already on its way out, or was there still like? Uh, yeah, I, I do think uh, the the time of this movie, we were looking at the 
the tail end of dubstep. Because dubstep has one of the most interesting histories in the world of music. Um, you know, in kind of 2007, 2008, when Burial came out with his album Underground, that was considered dubstep. Like, that's considered one of the, the peaks of dubstep. But if you listen to that now, it's kind of like, this is so insanely quiet. This is not what we think dubstep is. And artists like Skrillex and... Oh, oh, there's one other I can't remember. Chemical X or Underground X or something like that. Uh, they they, they kind of took dubstep to what we see and hear in this movie. That really kind of, you know... I think Key and Peel described it best. They said dubstep was the sound of Transformers fucking. And, and that's really what it is. That's what Skrillex is. It's very mechanical, you know... Machinaic noises and I love it I, I, I love that they use some really great Skrillex songs in this movie but it is just for that party aesthetic and I think that's what you're going for right? Yeah because uh, as somebody who I remember when I well again me being the square being in my little bubble especially when it comes to music yeah there were I, there was no 18s in this no there was no 18s in there this was but, some, there was some dancing though if you if you consider just like you know drunken I, I, raves, I shake my butt and it's dancing. Then you got it. <laughs> but like, I remember when I was in college, like when I first heard of like dubstep and Skrillex, it was like fall of 2011. Like that's I remember like that was like the big thing was was Skrillex, and it kind of faded. I remember I, I didn't hear much about it after that though. But that was like the big thing that was like I kind of like August September of 2011. Like everybody was listening to that. like you'd hear sure. people playing music and hear the womp 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 like that sort of thing. Like at that wah, point, yeah, yeah, drop the bass, drop uh, the bass. Because <laughs> that was even like what like banger like Skrillex's like bangerang was like like what like a top forty song. Oh yeah, bangerang was pretty early. Um, the first song we we hear in this this mu- uh, movie, "Scary Monsters and Nice Sprites," that was one of his earlier tracks. And for everyone that doesn't know, that is certainly a a play on David Bowie's uh, "Scary Monsters and Super Freaks." Just so you know, Zach, everybody needs to be aware that Skrillex is not original. He was playing off of Bowie. Okay, even the dubstep artists were playing off of Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so like that's like but that i think uh considering maybe that's why this film maybe did resonate with me because as rob knows i am e- extremely judgmental extremely what? so <laughs> you're one of the i i mean literally when people talk to me about who do you know with the with the lowest blood pressure i always say zach <laughs> zach's one of the most calm lowest blood pressure people i know Oh yeah, I, I can't even say that with a straight face. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Um, so like, so when this movie came out, and I and you see all this drunken debauchery, that God, it's it, oh God, there's so much of it in this, oh, and you have oh, that, yeah. and you have that playing over the soundtrack. That makes sense to me. That that resonates with me because when I was in college, and again that sophomore year when I really got. Oh God, I got my first kind of culture shock of this world, which I didn't really get freshman year. I kind of, freshman year kind of nothing really major happened other than the Sal nonsense. And so, but when sophomore year, when like, okay, Sal is gone, there's no tethers to home anymore in the sense of, of that world. So, and, and there was a lot of that. So it, it made sense in my world to 
the dubstep really did complement the debauchery. It, it made it more real for me. Okay, which maybe, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah. Which most people maybe they couldn't say that. And I think that's why, because like the first five minutes of this film is just uh, drunk debauchery with capital D's. Oh my god! I mean, I really hate to say that I've been in situations when people have been pouring beer on other people. Like, I really hate that I've lived that, but I have, and it's so stupid. Why would you ever, one, want to pour beer on another person, and two, why would you want beer poured on you? Like, if I was a woman, I wouldn't want sticky tits, and if I was a man who enjoyed beer, because I think it's established I don't like beer, I only drink hard liquor, uh, why would I want to waste my beer on sticky tits? It makes no sense to me! I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Zach. I'm right there with you. You're right there with me. Yeah. So again, like you get that. Oh God! It really that first sequence really sets the mood. And 100% we hundred percent debauchery, a hundred percent raunchiness. Everything that is, it, it's the pure embodiment of what kind of you know stereotypical spring break is. And that's what I love about it is that it encapsulates that so well. Very glad you said stereotypical because that's the key word there. Is because like that type of spring break to everybody. Th- like when you say like spring break, everybody has that like MTV image in their head. Mm-hmm. You have you have guys with, with you have the guys with their buff chest. You have women in very skimpy uh, beachwear, and and that's what you imagine. And, and again, and this is just dialing that up to eleven. And. Yes. I, I think that really he put he gives you this mindset, and even better, he does an immediate juxtaposition with the fact of where our main characters are when this is happening. Oh yeah, yeah, I love it. And I think part of it is too, because again, like I said, doing a plot a, a breakdown of the plot is kind of uh, futile. In that, I, I I knew people, or not? Okay, it's not that I knew people, but. Based on our generation, as Rob knows, all I do is complain about how horrible our generation is and how they're going to uh, – if the baby boomers didn't ruin this world, our generation definitely will. <laughs> they're going to step on the drowning head of the world. And it's the idea that like you see all that debauchery and our main protagonist, the four females, Selena Gomez, Vanessa Hudgens, I'm not going to say all their names. They're, they are smitten by this world. Yep. And – Based on my own judgmental thing of my peers at the time, and even to this day, people our age, back during 2013, were just as smitten with that idea. They loved that idea of just, like Rob said, pouring beer on somebody. They loved that idea of just the the unleashed id. They loved that idea of just, oh God, like hedonistic, oh God, I think we described it during our Claws episode, like Caligula-esque <laughs> just, uh, oh God, living out your f- darkest fantasies. They're sinners. <laughs> <laughs> no, See, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're saying, that uh, I'm totally on board that this is, this movie is, and I think I realized this more when I watched it the second time for this recording, this movie is kind of, um, you know, Poking fun is what comes to mind, but that might not be the right term, but poking fun at the stereotypical view of partying and what spring break has come to represent stereotypically. And that's awesome. That's such a great representation of it in this movie. Yeah, but I think the interesting thing, though, is that, like, 
spring break it, like I don't even know like Rob you obviously you know you're not a, a a college kid like in the sense of like an undergrad but like the spring break that's whoa presented. whoa 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 well, I, mean, I, mean, I mean you're okay let me rephrase that you're immersed in this culture not because you're a student but because you're just there by kind of Oh God, rubbing shoulders with it. You're kind of like, you're on the periphery of it where someone like me is a hundred percent removed from it. I am, I'm not even on the fringes. Oh, yes, I agree with that. I'm definitely on the periphery. Um, I would be fired if I showed my man chest at a, uh, at a school <laughs> event. <laughs> That's probably no, the best way to say but, it. <laughs> but what I meant, what I mean though, is that like, the type of uh, spring break that is portrayed in this film and like we have this uh, stereotypical preconceived notion of that doesn't even really exist anymore does it where oh, MT- uh, I don't know I mean in the media probably not you know but honestly pff, I I think the best way to answer your question is I've never been on a spring break like this I should say like I've never been to Florida on a spring break I have no notion of the spring break that this movie represents other well, than the well, stereotypicalness I mean, of it. Well, I don't mean this film. I mean what goes on nowadays in 2019. Like, like as as you're hearing this, folks, spring break should be occurring oh. or has already occurred. Like, yeah, the, you can the, get coke. You can get coke anywhere. You don't have to go to Florida anymore. <laughs> Does that answer your question? <laughs> I guess it's, it's, it's as good as an answer as I'll ever get out of you. But what I mean, though, is like, again, I don't know if Rob remembers this, though, but like back during like the early to mid 2000s, like you'd have your spring break destinations like Fort Lauderdale, Jacksonville, Daytona Beach that were kind of your, your hubs of spring break. Yeah, that doesn't exist anymore for many reasons. The fact that a once a location gets to be known by everybody becomes passe. Plus a lot of those communities didn't like the stigma attached to it and deliberately kind of just put an end to it. Mm-hmm. So like, I've heard things too, something like Galveston, Texas is a spring break location. Um, certain place, certain beaches in Alabama. It's, <laughs> it, it's, it's kind of the idea now that spring break just, it's not like, Oh, 15 years ago, if you went to Fort Lauderdale during a specific week in March, you could you could live spring break. It was there waiting for you. Yeah, yeah. There, that doesn't really happen nowadays. You kind of have to have your ear to the ground much more than you had to in the past. And okay. that's okay. and that's that's why I mean by that. I wasn't meaning like Rob. Rob's are going to raves in his mid to late twenties. I meant that <laughs> maybe he maybe he had some sort of insights into what the kids are doing nowadays. Thank you. Thank you for. Saying that I'm in my lid, mid to late twenties and not giving my exact age—that's appreciable. That's appreciable, Zach. <laughs> there, see, I'm always considerate, but I, because because as I was rewatching this again today, and with my very cynical mindset on the world, our stupid ass generation, the younger generations are coming. They're coming up. Yep, and yep. it's been more ours than anything else. In that. Like a lot of people say, oh, he's he's mocking this culture, or I don't want to say, he's very what's the word straight faced lampooning it, and I don't I don't think that's a hundred percent what he's doing here. And at the same time, it depends on we don't have enough of Harmony Crin's filmography to really die. Everything he does is different, so it's hard to get a firm grasp on what he's thinking. But I think this film is much more. Oh God! It's almost like a quasi—it's like a fairy tale gone wrong. Yeah, yeah. 
And that's why, because you have the very beginning of the film where you have Vanessa Hudgens and Ashley Benson sitting there in their classroom with obviously the, the room is dark. Everybody has c- their, their computer screens in front of them and they all change the slide at the exact same time. And it's like, and again, very, that's one thing we got to give credit for the cinematographer of this, the lighting of every, pretty much every scene in this film is, oh God, oh. It, it's, it's practically phenomenal. It, it uh, it's orgasmic. I love the lighting and the colors of this movie. Absolutely. And as we're as again, we're introduced to Ashley Benson and Vanessa Hudgens, who oddly enough kind of become the main characters as we progress through the film. Yeah, I think they're the ones that that achieve that status of a a character arc, and not just a character arc per se, but you know that arc of understanding like i said before that they are bad people and they can do bad things be it for themselves and that's what i really like about this film i don't i don't that's the thing about those that like i think it's repre like you okay not to do once again look into the mirror of our dumbass generation but i don't like you i see some people our age and not to say they do horrible things that's not fair but horrible in the context of being a Oh God, a person in their mid twenties, just like, again, they are, Oh God, arrested development isn't a strong enough term. They have Mm -hmm. everything they could possibly want their fingertips. They don't have a problem in the world yet. They would, if somebody asked them to rate their life, they'd give it a three out of 10. It's this, it's this, I don't want to say it's the white person suburbia problem. (laughs) I I think it's the thing. And that's why I think the main care, I think, um, I don't think it's an issue of being bad people. I don't think any of the characters in this film. Uh, okay, excuse me. I'm not talking about um, James Franco or Gucci Mane. I'm not talking about them. I'm Gucci Mane. <laughs> yes, Gucci, yes, good old Gucci Mane, who plays the who should have been nominated for best supporting actor. In Big this. Arch. Big Arch. <laughs> but if you look at our generation. And I think Ashley Benson and Vanessa Hudgens' characters do not see anything they're doing is wrong. I think how that, and what I mean by the fairy tale gone wrong is that when you, we have a point in the film where, again, uh, I guess to lay out a little bit more of the plots, they want the four females want to go on spring break. They're stuck on their campus when everybody's away. The campus yeah. is more or less a ghost town. And anybody who's been on a college campus during a vacation can attest to the fact that where there's usually tens of thousands of people, all of a sudden there's maybe about what, a, a couple hundred tops? It's- beautiful it's the most beautiful time of the year i i knew rob was gonna say that Uh, but i think that's what it is though with these characters i don't think they see anything they're not doing anything wrong throughout this it's these this i think if there's one word that encapsulates this film and the generation that this film is based off of it's the entitlement it's that we want spring break because everybody else wants spring break. And once they get to the spring break, once they get there and, and there's the phone, because we get the, uh, again, once again, we have a Skrillex song in the background. We have, um, I think Selena Gomez is talking to someone on the phone. It's either her mother or grandmother. Grandma. And, yeah. I wish you were here. I want to come back with you next yes, year. Yeah. yeah. And I think, and you see all the clips of what they're doing and what they're doing for the most part at, is, Oh God, it's not stellar. It's a hundred. It's really not glamorous. And I mean, like, no, I, I have to. I, I, I feel like I have to disagree because I, I, I think that you know, for at least the two, as you described them before, main characters, uh, Vanessa Hudgens and not Selena Gomez, the blonde one. 
Um, like they they are they're the ones that perform the robbery at the beginning to get the money for spring break. And I think this movie, at least when I watched it last, this is more about the development of a criminal personality than it is anything else. And I think that's where this movie thrives for me is because these two women, these two young girls, they get a taste of something evil. But it's delectable, and they and they feel they need to continue it, and that's where we get the scenes of you know making James Franco suck off a gun, and then killing Big Arch at the end. I think this is, you know, I've read about this in my research for this movie, and I think you might have touched on this already. There's some people who say, is this female empowerment or is this female you know monetization? Is it is it saying that women are are stronger? and can do these things, or are women just objects that men are using? And I honestly feel that this movie is the empowerment angle. I think that it's it's stunning to me that this movie is these women doing evil, evil things. Because as far as I'm concerned, if you want genders to be equal, every single bit that men are evil, women should be as well. And this movie represents that quite awesomely. And that's how I've always taken it. Well, okay, I, I disagree with that, but I don't. I, I don't think it's wrong. It's just an interpretation. I, I disagree I mean, with that interpretation. I, I mean, wait, I, I like that you said that, but I mean that one of the last scenes when you know the the two women, Vanessa Hudgens and the blonde one. That I know that's terrible to say when I'm trying to talk about women in a greater sense, the blonde one. But when they have their pink ski masks on and their machine guns. And they go up, you know, on the docks of, of Big Arch's estate or whatever, and James Franco just takes one bullet and dies. They don't stop. It's only until later that we get to see them kind of kissing him with their masks on. That's really important that they pay they pay some type of homage to him while they're still wearing their masks. That he was this kind of important figure from this distant perspective. That he's not worth their actual lips; they're worth their lips behind this mask. And and well, okay. I love that. I love well, that. Well, I think you, that's all empowerment. Well, you okay? Uh, that's 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 a conversation that might be worth getting into because I don't think I don't think this film has anything to do with empowerment. It has about as much women empowerment in it as Sucker Punch does, which is zero. Well. <laughs> but going back to the scene you mentioned about the um the, the sucker punch match, sucker punch was terrible. Let's just get that straight. <laughs> sucker punch is a mess, but it's one of these things where it's like Zack Snyder goes out, he's like, I'm making a women empowerment movie by having them in short skirts in a uh, tight bustiers. It's like Zack yeah, Snyder, we're gonna, you can... we're gonna dance to distract men and, and carry out our plans. <laughs> <laughs> oh my lord, that movie's bonkers. Uh, very similar to this, oddly enough, between the t- the music and all that. There's 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 a connection there if one wanted to make one. But going back to the scene you mentioned with the after uh, toward the very end of the film, and considering that this film does have a someone I think once described this film to me as like gyroscopic editing or gyroscopic <laughs> narrative, and that it just it just it's it's constantly moving. Uh, yeah, and, I think that was me when I described it as the sound and the fury by William Faulkner. If if Zach or our audience does not know, they're a very big part of the sound and the fury is that our characters are schizophrenic and depressed, and they do not know what time they're talking about. 
So there are literally sentences that go on for pages with no punctuation, no indentation, and it's all just up to the reader to decide what timeline and what kind of narrative our author or narrator is speaking in. That's why I think they're similar. It's so disjointed from a conventional narrative structure. Yes, and but going back to the point though, with James Franco and, and them kissing him as he has as he's dead, is that if you look at that scene <clears throat> in the context, because even though the, the editing of this film is like a jigsaw puzzle thrown up into the air, he does lay out enough of the context of what happens. Like you can piece together which events take place before others. Sure, sure. And if you look at that scene, if you watch it, they get off the boat, they're walking on the dock. Uh, James Franco takes one to the head practically immediately mm-hmm. and they pull out their, their gats or their Uzis and mow down the guy who shot him and they yeah. continue the walk on. And then, but at the very end of the film, we see when they both like kneel down to kiss him on the forehead or wherever they kiss him and they walk off. It's, it's before the attack on Gucci Mane's estate. Because if you look at the end of the movie, they're driving away in Gucci Mane's uh, Lamborghini. Yeah, yeah. And that's and then because before the attack on his estate or property or house occurs, we're oh. seeing their phone call to their parent. The phone call with the parents takes place after the attack, but he deliberately puts that into the narrative in yeah, the film before the attack. The whole thing, I want to be better, absolutely. Yes. And that's that's what it is, though. I do not think... I think the violence and the, the nudity and, the again, the, the TNA, it needs to be there with attractive women. It's part of the thing. You have a bunch of attractive women. You need to have... Again, if you're going to make this type of movie, you got to sell it just right. Yeah. And that's why you do have things like they're wearing what the, the pink leopard print body suits with the, the, oh. the, 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 yoga pants that say DTF with the DTF, pink, yeah. that, have, that have the pink unicorn ski masks. Um, I think that's hope. I can, I don't, I can, I don't know. Maybe it's women empowerment. I don't think harmony Corinne's that type of filmmaker. If I don't I, think he's concerned with bought- that. If I bought you sweatpants, Zach, that said DTF on the ass, would you wear them? If after we get the Jimmy C HMFIC hat, we're gonna get DTF Spring Breakers Cinematics. <laughs> would you wear a hat that said HMFIC, but with sweatpants that said DTF? Like <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. That is that's glorious. That's sending <laughs> so many mixed messages. <laughs> 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 yeah, there's a, there's a lot to unpack with this movie. It's it's not as superficial as I initially thought it was, but at the same time, though, I think this is meant. To, again, going back to the Selena Gomez scene, because once, like I said, you see all these scenes, you see them riding mopeds, not not the greatest thing in the world. You see them, like Rob says, they're at a a oh god a third rate at best rapper having a performance yeah. on the beach. We have yeah. them in a, a a dinky motel pool swimming around as one of them is like like two guys in jock straps are pouring beer on her. And then yeah. my favorite scene of this entire sequence, favorite in quotation marks, is seeing <laughs> them urinate pulling their bikini bottoms aside in the middle of a street. Oh yeah, that's great. And that's it, but but the problem is that over the all this uh uh oh my lord, 
oh god collage collage (laughs) over this montage montage thank you of scenes you have the very oh god what's it called rob trance music it's very even though it's dubstep it's more trance yeah yeah you have this very more more trance more psychedelic more free-flowing than what you have heard so far Plus, Selena Gomez does have a very soft, somewhat angelic voice, and she's exp- she's saying this almost like, and, and then tying to the fact that her name is Faith, her her mm. history with religion. This, and I think she even said, does she even say at one point, it's almost like a religious experience. They yeah, are. She says we've met people here that are just like us. They're the same as us. They want the same things we do. Man, Grandma, I can't wait till I can come here next year with you. <laughs> and that's and that's why again tying this back to our stupid generation is that I could like our generation worship. Our generation does not take anything seriously. Everything is disposable. Everything. You, all it's meant out of life is to have a good time. It doesn't matter any sort of detriment that comes from back on a personal level or on a macro scale or scale, excuse me. It's as long as I had a good time. That's all that matters. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter what it takes for me to get there. And I think that's where this is the fairy tale that, that again, I think this is a modern day fairy tale that they are worshiping much like a Cinderella or snow white. All they want to do is go to the ball and guess what? They get to go to the ball. And while they're and while they're in the middle of the ball, it's everything they could ever have imagined. They get yep. to sit there. They get to dance with the prince, even though there's no specific guy in any of this other than alien. I'm not talking about alien. This is before alien comes into the picture. And got my nunchucks. <laughs> got my, my shuriken. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, got Scarface on repeat. Repeat. <laughs> this is my fucking dream, y'all. All this shit. Look at my shit. I got. I got shorts. Every fucking color. Mm-hmm. I got designer t-shirts. <laughs> I got gold bullets. Motherfucking vampires. Mm-hmm. I got Scarface mm-hmm. on repeat. Best movie. Scarface on repeat. Constant, y'all. I got Escape. Calvin escape. Klein Escape. Mix that shit up with Calvin Klein B. Ooh. Smell nice. Hey. I smell nice. <laughs> Ain't a fucking bed. That's a fucking art piece. My fucking spaceship, USS Enterprise on this shit. I go to different planets on this motherfucker. Me and my fucking Franklin's here. We take off. Fucking take off. Look at my shit. Look at my shit. I got my blue Kool-Aid. Ooh, you got your Kool-Aid. I got my fucking nunchucks. I got shurikens. I got different flavors. I got them. I got them size. Look at that shit. I got size. I got blades. Look at my shit. This ain't nothing. I got... I got rooms of this shit. I got my dark tanning oil. Yeah. <laughs> Lay out by the pool. Yeah. Put on my dark tanning yeah. oil. Machine guns. <laughs> Look at this. Look at this motherfucker here. Look at this motherfucker. Huh? A fucking army up in this shit. But before he shows up, though, and they get arrested, it is. They are living... And I, in faith, you know, she says it more. Um, she says it a couple of times, with again through repetition. There, she's in the pool with Vanessa Hudgens and Ashley Benson, and there, and she's saying it to them, and she goes underwater at one point, and the two of them make fun of her for sounding so mm-hmm. stupid. And yeah, I they think say, I love that line. They're like, we're, they're like, I'm not drunk enough for that. <laughs> yeah. I'm and not buying a house and living with you. It's like I'm not drunk enough for that. <laughs> That's the interesting thing because if you if you're going to analyze this movie, a lot of people make the mistake of analyzing it through the lens of James Franco's character, and okay. I think that's wrong. I think like you've already said, you have to analyze it through Vanessa Hudgens and Ashley Benson, aka the blonde one. 
And that's the thing, though, is that because uh, uh, Selena Gomez and Harmony Crin's wife, the fourth one, they both disappear because Selena Gomez gets weirded out because she doesn't. She's getting bad vibes from what's about that. What's going yeah. to happen? She yeah. senses the danger and and before anything can happen, and walks away. And you have the other one who it takes a physical act. Uh, it takes her being physically harmed for her to mm. say, okay, I've had my fill of this. Yeah, she gets and, shot in the drive-by, right? Yeah, she gets shot in the drive-by by, by uh, Gucci Mane. In, big in Arch. Yeah, by Big Arch. And the other two, I said, that's that's the interesting thing, though, is that the other two, it's, I think, what most of them, it's just that they want the, because if you keep in, I, I, okay, I could be wrong here. We're introduced to them before we're introduced to Selena Gomez, right? Yeah, yeah, we get them kind of, you know, with some quick shots prior to when we start to get the uh, the church aspect for Selena Gomez in the beginning. Absolutely. Exactly. And I think that's maybe the problem with casting Selena Gomez is that she kind of sucks the air out of the room. And that cause she is the, the most fit at the time, and probably even now, is still the most famous person in this film. I don't know. She could be the most famous, but I mean... I don't but know in this movie. One. Like, I'm not, I'm not attracted to Selena Gomez. She looks like she's ten. Well, that's like, the, like Vanessa Hudgens and the blonde one are much better looking, and I know they're older, and so that's where I'm not, but, I'm not but, quite as clear well, on it. Well, well, I'm not okay. When I say about Selena Gomez sucking the air out of the room, I don't mean this in a, in the context of the film. I'm talking about. Outside looking in the re- the outside okay. the film film criticism in mass audiences looking at this because again it's kind of oh god um I'm not giving an analogy but it's the problem that she <laughs> is the biggest one in this film it's like it's like imagine if you made oh, I can't think I really can't think of an example where you could do this with with anything else I really can't because because I know because she's like what eleven years old no no it has nothing to do with that no it has nothing to do with that it's the fact that her her level of celebrity. Okay, okay. Not I yet, guess. not I now. Guess. I'm talking five plus years ago. Yeah, I know that's fair. And that's what I have an issue with is because, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I definitely feel like I've, not to bring up Star Wars, but I think I've said to Zach before that, you know, the person who played, what is it, Kelly Marie Tran. Like, she looks like a 10-year-old Asian woman to me. Like, she should never had a part in that, in that Star Wars movie. Not that that is any reason to say terrible things to her on the internet, but she was horribly miscast. And I honestly feel that way about Selena Gomez. Like, she's so much younger looking than all of the others that we have. And, yes, that but, might have been intentional yes, because that is- of that, you know, maturity difference. But I, I can't get past that. It's it's it, it just makes it too obvious for me. Well, I, again, I don't think this film is supposed to be subtly. I, I, it's not trying to be subtle. This sure. is not a subtle film. This is this film again. The fact that the dialogue is hitting you over the head every single time. Yeah, and when the colors get sharper for the more intense scenes, absolutely. Yeah, like I said, no, I, I think everything in this film is there on purpose. I don't think there's anything here that's just kind of like, okay, let's stumble into it. Mm-hmm. Some things might not be as clear as other things, but I don't think anything here is arbitrary. Because again, I think think about it, her name is Faith, and even very early in the, yeah. in the film, her friends at the at the the Bible club say <laughs> you're out. Pretty, pretty much say you're out of your depth with these two. I I, I really do love that line. When you have, like, you know, Faith listening to her friends from the Bible group or whatever, and they go, you better pray down there in Florida. Yeah, you better pray hard. Yeah, I hope you pray real hard. (laughs) I hope you pray down there in Florida. Pray hardcore. Pray super hardcore. 
That's well, awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, and plus there's a lot of foreshadowing there. That's again, it's it's everybody makes fun of yeah. Harmony Corinne, but he made a solid. I have to say, I think with this movie though, he made a solid film. Like, oh, don't no, me wrong. So I, I think that that's something that I, I haven't said that I should say is that when I watched this movie, when I watched it specifically for this recording, you know, the second time in my life, I loved it. I I got the sense of, you know true artistic direction while i might not have understood what the vision was i could clearly tell that a vision was there and that's awesome when i watch a movie that's what i want to see that that's why i loved enemy which we've never talked about on cinemodities but i brought up multiple times i don't know what enemy is going for i don't understand that there's a giant spider at the end i still don't comprehend that but I love that artistic representation. And I feel this movie fits that same exact bill. This film either has a very, very dense, veiled core to it, or it has no core. I think we're dealing with a very, very, very smart person, or a very, very, very stupid person. <laughs> but I, th- I, think, I think what this film's trying to get at, and like we said with Selena Gomez, is that she is a uh, Oh God, painting a picture of what's going on spring break mm-hmm. as this nirvana almost. Yeah. It's this heavenly experience. And obviously this ties into her her background with Christianity, her name being Faith, very on the nose. We've met so many people, so many people that are just like us, that know who we are. Absolutely. That's religious inspired, a hundred percent. And then guess what happens though? You you it's it's the Garden of Eden and it's corrupted. Because think about you have you have Again, uh, your nunchucks, your shurikens, <laughs> your Scarface on repeat. No, I hear you, Zach. Absolutely. I, I, I get what you're saying. It's that kind of that pure bliss of space gets defiled by imprisonment. And then that imprisonment is freed by a viper. That's what this movie is. That their spring break enjoyment comes to a grinding halt because of the law but then gets just shifted hands from the law into Alien and someone who's much more of a snake. 100%. Well, well think about that. His name is Alien. He's foreign. He, I think he even well, has... His real name, isn't his real name Al? But he's, not, <laughs> but he's not of this planet, though. But he's not of this planet. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and, I think, and I think that's what it is, though. I think about it. His name's not just Alien because it, it's, it's a funny thing to have James Franco play this guy as that name. It's like that he really is an alien, oh God, concept in his entire existence to what these four girls are aware of. Sure. I've always kind of taken that to be more of a Little Wayne parody because I don't know if Zach is aware of this, but Little Wayne has a song called Phone Home where he talks about himself being an alien to a great extent. And I've always thought of this as a parody of Little Wayne, especially with the grill and the dreads. Um, but, but no, what Zach is saying is totally valid, is that you know we see this kind of extraterrestrial, extraterrestrialism with this character. We are not the same. I am an alien like Gonzalez, young college student who didn't just flip the game like Houston. I'm used to promethazine in two cups. I'm screwed up. And you ain't shit if you ain't never been screwed up. Flow so sick, make you want to throw your food up. Yeah, and that's 
And because, well, again, James Franco's performance is based off a bunch of things. Like you said, can, Wayne. Can we, can we just say how amazing this performance is? Like, James Franco in this movie hits the nail on the fucking head. It's so good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think he's even said in interviews this is his uh, best performance he's ever given. That, I mean, even the scene where he's, he's like, on the piano and he's like, one little chicky got shot in the arm. Like, all of that is superb. Well, that's okay. This is again. I guess we'll get into James Franco now, but I still want to wrap up my thoughts about uh, uh, Vanessa Hudgens and Ashley Benson, yes, yes. and the, and the, and what they're how they're really. I think you can discern the meaning of this film and tied into the culture of our generation. But we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but no, with James Franco said. I think one of the things, probably the most unique thing about this film, is that even though I know there's a lot of controversy, or there was at the time, that again with James, I know like the rapper Riff Raff. Apparently claims that James Franco ripped off his shtick. Okay. In this, which I get, I've I've heard a couple of Riff Raff songs. I'm like, okay, I I, I get it. I can see the influence there. Riff Raff is what I call Zach on a daily basis. <laughs> but I can. The one thing you gotta give James Franco about this is that this feels a hundred percent his performance. This oh, feels yeah. like uh, you watch a lot of performances in movies, and it's like, okay, it's just like, oh god, let's take uh, everybody's favorite actors of the moment, Brie Larson, Captain Marvel. Like that is not a performance. That is somebody just literally just she's essentially a marionette puppet. She's just going through the motions of that. Yeah, film. Brie Larson to me is a fucking like wooden plank. Even before she was Captain Marvel, I've seen her in some other stuff. And and she is just a flat board. She's she is plank from Ed 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 Eddie. She has a drawn on facial expression that she can't change. And I don't understand why she's, you know, I, I, Zach and I have talked about this offline before. But it's like you know everybody's like, oh my god, Captain Marvel. She's a female superhero. And it's like it's like we got fucking Wonder Woman. We got, you know. Thor's sister, we got Black Widow. Like, this is not the first female superhero, right? Who's Thor's uh, sister? Uh, the the villain from Ragnarok. What? Uh, Hello? Hello? Okay, okay, like, I, like, I, okay. I she was she was a she was a powerful female character, and I don't understand why everybody's ignoring all of those. So we can talk about fucking Brie Larson, who has resting bitch face, like. Like, what are we doing with our lives, you know? <laughs> but I, well, I, I didn't mean that in a sense to get off on the kick of uh, female empowerment, rah, rah, rah. Why, I know, well, I know I took oh, that because I, I think this movie has a lot of female empowerment, but yes, absolutely. But the thing about those, like, you watch something like that, and but Brie Larson doesn't own the Captain Marvel role. Cause there's nothing, no, and, because and, she has resting bitch face. Well, that among many other reasons is that <laughs> plus the, the role, there's no room in the role to make it her own. She's not. What can I, what can room. I do? What can I do, Zach, to have you say the words resting bitch face? Resting bitch face. <laughs> oh, perfect. I'm happy. That's a term. That's Continue. a term. I've heard that term before. Okay, good. No, no, you should have. I thought I thought that was something because you won't say dildo. I thought that was going to be something I, you were no, going to be all, because, all because, crazy about. No, resting bitch face is a thing. That's, that, that <laughs> is a... <laughs> I love it. I love it, Zach. Resting oh my bitch God. face. <laughs> okay, good, folks. Uh, folks, if that was on your uh, crossword puzzle for uh, cinematic terms, you know what? Cross off your list now. Um <laughs> But no, I think that's the thing about those that this performance feels like James Franco was able to make it his own. And I don't think 
most actors are given that opportunity. And plus, I know James Franco now is kind of like persona non grata in Hollywood because he's part of he got thrown into the Me Too lot. Yeah. But no, I think I I really honestly God think this was this was like in the same vein that like in Jackie Earl Haley. Rorschach is an Oscar caliber performance. I think this is that same level where, like, you do not, like, again, that's another example. Jackie Earl Haley's Rorschach. He's able to make that performance or that character into his own in a way that, oh God, Matthew Good couldn't make Adrian Vite. Exactly. And, and that I, you, you, you need that wiggle room. You need that wiggle room to really kind of just you kind of get every inch of that performance. And it is that James Franco thing. Like, it, it's goofy. It is a Goofy character, and it's an equally intentional perform goofy uh, performance, but it is there's nothing else like it. Yeah, I, I think uh, it's best exemplified by the scene where you know he just bails the girls out of jail, and they go to some kind of like beach park, and James Franco is sitting on the top of a picnic table talking to them about you know the twins and about. You know, all these, he's like, hey, you see some girls go down on girls? Like, you like that? What'd you think about that? What's your name, huh? Like, that. that is all so... It's his scene. It's, it's the scene for that character, and he owns it so perfectly. And I love it. Yeah, he does. He, he owns the screen anytime he's on it. it yeah, that, that grill he has... I think grills are ugly as shit. I would never get a grill in real life, but man, that grill makes that character. Oh when yeah, the, the corn grills like, everything. Yeah, and he's like, "Am I?" He's like, "Do I make a lot of money?" He's like, "Look at my teeth. I'm made of money." You know that type of shit. That's great. Yeah, it really. Like I said, it's it's a a baffle performance that we really don't see nowadays. Yeah, yeah. I I've said it to people before when I talk about music. I love when rappers. Talk about how much money they have when they sing about that. Because that's something I am never going to achieve. Like, there's a Wiz Khalifa song where he says something like, I got so much money, I should start a bank. <laughs> and, and you know, that that is so beyond my realm of, of not just my experiences, but what I'm actually going to write music about. Because, you know, if like Zach or our audience and inferiority complex, that music is like solely about addiction. And and that is so far beyond what like, you know, I have so much money I could start a bank. We need all those levels. It's like when you think about any type of creative field, you know, you need those Picassos. You need the people who are going to progress it no matter what. But at the same time, you need those people who are going to be painting caricatures down on the beach. You need every single level of artistry. And that yes. goes that goes for mathematics, that goes for artistry, that goes for podcasts. <laughs> I don't know where Zach would put us if we're characters just down on the beach or if we're the Picassos of the world, but that is a fact. <laughs> it's definitely closer to one of those than the other. <laughs> Yo, someone's gonna stab us over our caricatures. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But yeah, no, I guess that that's um. And plus, you get the whole, again, yeah, James Franco. It's a, it's it, it's a neat performance. It's a, yeah. I guess I I, I really again. That's probably it's weird how that how this film kind of gets. People don't even talk about that anymore. His performance of this. Oh, that's a sad thing. He got he got kind of so caught up in the uh, Tommy Wiseau thing. Yeah, everybody forgets the fact that he was able to uh, 
Like, this really is, honest to God, his best performance. I know. I mean, I, I even wrote it down in my notes that, you know, James Franco in this movie sucks off a gun. I never <laughs> thought that I would write that, <laughs> ever. <laughs> well, that's the best scene in the entire film. Yeah, because that, that's the scene of, of, I think, truly humbling another person. I think that might be the best female empowerment scene in the movie. Well, that's why... Well, the thing that's interesting about that scene, though... And I think, it, again, it ties into my overall uh, kind of thesis on the film, uh, the culture of our generation, and uh, Ashley Benson and Vanessa Hudgens, is that it's they're, the two of them, not anybody else, not even the other one, because mm-hmm. it, because oh, I forget her name. Harmony Corinne's wife. She's the fourth one. Cotty. Her name Cot- in the movie is Cotty. Cotty, yes. Yeah. And every time we see her, she's always kind of off in the corner away from everybody else. Because even when uh, Selena Gomez, Vanessa Hudgens, and Ashley Benson are in the pool outside the motel, Cotty's the one inside that's getting the beer poured on or by the guys wearing jock straps. Oh my god, they it was it was painful to watch some of these scenes for how haphazardly they spread cocaine on people's bodies. Like even even if you have the chance to snort coke off of a person's body, you're not just going to whip it everywhere like powdered sugar. Rob, right? Stop. Rob, please don't implicate yourself. Please don't. <laughs> Okay, I'm just I'm just saying it like it is, Zach. But okay, but something, continue. <laughs> something's gonna get. I know something's gonna get out of the podcast now. <laughs> uh, but no, I think the whole point is with them going back to the gun, the gun fellatio scene. Mm. Is that those two girls? Even think about even how how we're introduced to them. They are sitting in the lecture class with everybody has this. Everybody's homogenized. Everybody has to look at the yeah. same thing, and while everybody else is glued to their screens, they're sitting there drawing pictures, which again. Uh, with a pen and paper, they're not drawing pic. Think about it. very easily. Harmony Corinne could have had them on their phones texting each other. Yeah, like like if this was any other filmmaker. Instead of having, I forget who draws the the the, the phallus, as the other one starts like uh, like you know, licking it with their tongue on the piece of paper. He could have very easily had the iPhones and be using the uh, what's it the the, the eggplant emoji and the tongue <laughs> out emoji. Like, like, if this was any other film, he would have been doing that. The fact yeah. that he has them using a pen and paper, which again shows you just kind of that, that juxtaposition between, oh, that's God. A, the- that's a really good point. You know, I, I, I was thinking about it when I watched this movie. You know, when I got maybe, you know, 70%, 80% through it, I was kind of like, wow, there's so few smartphones in this film. And that's impressive. Yeah, it really is because again, it shows the fact that we are like this is not supposed to be a one to one of what our reality is. It's meant to reflect what's going on in our reality, but it's not meant to be like okay, here's a smartphone. Like think about it. every time a TV is on, it's always My Little Pony. It's almost satire. This film. <laughs> well, that's but that's why I mean though. Like so, going back to what I've been trying to say now for the last ninety minutes about Vanessa <laughs> Hudgens and Ashley Benson. Is that I think the whole everything that they are again the reflection of our generation. They are the millennials, and what is the one thing that millennials always are after? They're always after the next high, and yep. that next high it doesn't. It's not Rob smoking a doobie before going to see Solo, a Star Wars story. It's the <laughs> high as in okay, we're in class. What's the what's the one thing I think about? What's the most? Oh God! The stark contrast of sitting in a classroom during a lecture—it's obviously p- performing fellatio—and then, yeah. and then think about what's the next high after that? 
it's barging it like a good old blowjob. <laughs> sure. And the next thing is they think about they bust into Selena Gomez's room. And they just again, it's the thrill of just getting again. They, they go hide out in the bathroom. There's like a boombox in the toilet. And then, oh yeah. <laughs> and then after that, we have the thing where they plan the robbery of the chicken shack. And then the next high is the spring break high. And then the next high after that is hanging out with Alien. And the next high after that is being, oh God, they have the, the three-way in the pool with Alien. Yeah. And then, well, before that, we have the, the, the robbery when they're robbing people. Um, they're, they're robbing the spring break. I think yes, they go the to, fantastic montage of armed robbery. <laughs> yes. Uh, set to Britney Spears is, well, what is it, every time? Yeah, yep. And you have that, then you have the three-way sex scene, then you have the next high is getting revenge on Gucci Mane. And then at that point, and that's where I think the thing is at the end of the film, it's no long, it's not them being good or bad people. It's the same way like how Rob and not to point the finger at Rob, I don't mean to do this here, but I'm gonna use him as as sure. my uh, my, sure my you example. Don't. <laughs> but it's the idea that it's just moving on to the next high. It's not the end of the film. They don't think they've done anything bad. It's just like like when Rob goes from uh, uh, smoking a substance to doing something else with a substance, he's not looking at it in the under the lens of oh, I'm doing something worse. I'm doing something even more unforgivable. It's just okay. What is the next high? And that's what happens at the end of this film when they go on their uh, uh, oh god, what would you call it? Revenge spree against Gucci Mane and his gangsters, and they take his Lamborghini and drive away. Yep. They have in the context of the movie and what the characters are saying to their to their parents when they're talking on the phone. They're not explaining as if they've done something bad and they found redemption or or they're or what's the word? They're admitting to their their sins or just accepting them. It has, it, good or bad is completely irrelevant in this film. Yeah. Guess what? Once they've completed this, they've moved on to the next high. They're moving on to the next high. At the end of the film, we don't know for certain that they're going back to the college campus. We don't think about they have yeah, a la- exactly. they have a Lamborghini. I don't they think they just say that they want to be better. That's all they say, and that could mean anything to them at that point. Absolutely, exactly. I think better is just you move on to the again, like again. It's our. I think this film, anything, is holding up a very distorted neon funhouse mirror to our generation, saying all you people are obsessed with is the next high, whether yep. it be fantasizing about doing something sexual during your your college lecture or robbing a restaurant mm-hmm. or to experience the vacation of your dreams. And then from the vacation of your dreams, you have the the hedonistic thing where you have all this sort of again the cocaine debauchery in the hotel room, and that's what it is. Everything is just you know, God, um, uh, un- uh, a high that can never be fulfilled. Yep, exactly. And that's, and, and that's what our and that going back to my original point was with our generation. Our generation has everything they could possibly want at their fingertips. You have all the information you could possibly ever want with your cell phone. Most people have a domestic situation that's beyond comfortable. Where yeah. if they ever need more money, all they gotta do is call up mom and dad. And the question isn't, uh, can you give me this money? It's how much will you give me? You know this this culture of instant gratification. It's become almost paramount to the growth of people that they won't move on to the next level until they can experience that instant gratification. And it's, it's sickening to some extent. 
Well, yeah, I think it's a blend of instant gratification, entitlement, and hedonism. Because it's not just simply enough to, again, it used to be, again, uh, the, the notion of the grass is always greener on the other side, combined with keeping up with the Joneses. It wasn't just good enough. Again, you're always trying to attain this goal that was all perpetually out of reach. Yeah. And now that's translated to, I... I'm no longer just competing with one person. I have to live again. It's, it's, it's the social media phenomenon. People post about how great their lives are. It's like, Oh, they'll only post pictures of when they're on vacation. You're never going to see somebody when they wake up with a head cold and their nose is red and their cheeks are swollen. You're, you're, you're not, you're not going to get that image, yeah. but that's again, but it, that's, that's a discussion for another day, but it's that idea of you just, it's, it's that hedonism. It's the hedonism combined with entitlement and with this never-ending just, I need more, I need more, I need more. And I think that's maybe the reason why people are having such a hard time discerning what the core of this movie is, is that it's not just one thing. And like any sort of, uh, what's the word, uh, deconstruction of what's currently going on. Think about it. You can't deconstruct something that's currently going on. Yeah. It needs to settle a little bit before you can before you can really analyze it. And I think now that this film is is God, it was filmed almost seven years ago, and it's almost six years old. I think now the pieces are finally set in the piece about it is our stupid generation now that we're getting older, and just how what our behaviors are and how these two characters are really oh God the manifestation in this universe of everything that our generation has mm-hmm. come to stand for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So are we going to talk? Are we going to talk about Gucci Mane's greatest line ever in this film? <laughs> what is it? What is it according to you? I want to know if we're on the same page. What do you think? My baby needs to eat. My baby's not getting enough. Or whatever. Oh he my says. god. Okay. Yes. Zach and I are on the same page. That was going to be something I brought up during our snack discussion. <laughs> oh god. Oh god. Because if you remember in that in that sequence of lines, Gucci Mane says something like, They're taking food away from my baby. My baby's got no food in her mouth. I need food for my baby's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and that directly impacts the snacks that I have to discuss. <laughs> Aliens bring too much heat down. And I don't like it. You taking food out of my baby's mouth. My baby's hungry. My baby needs to eat. My baby's starving. And we're gonna do something about it. Yeah, that's that's there like don't get me wrong, this film is not a masterpiece. Like this this like, his performance is wooden. Like it is. Oh no no. So I, I have to agree with you, Zach, and I and I wanna it's bring great. This it's up. a great performance, but it's oh, wooden yeah, as yeah. hell. But the other thing, which will probably get Zach Moore on board, is something he told me to remind him about. Oh, Zach, yes. Zach Val Kilmer. V- Val Kilmer and uh, Spring Breakers? Val yes. Kilmer and 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 what? I, I don't know. Like, Zach just told me to remind him. And so here we go. You got a great story? Uh, apparently we didn't talk about the very beginning of the film when Selena Gomez is in Bible club and we got, are you jacked up on Jesus? Are you jacked up on Jesus? I hope you pray hard down there in Florida. Pray hard. Pray super hard. Crazy Keith. Are you crazy for Jesus? Amen. Amen. Are you jacked up on Jesus? Mm -hmm. I am. 
<laughs> well, apparently they originally wanted. They originally. I'm not sure if they had him signed on, but originally they they wanted Val Kilmer for that role. For the for like the priest role. Yes, like like the rock the rock priest. Yeah. Damn. That they apparently awesome. dropped out. That would have been awesome. Where it's just like, you know, everybody, there's that scene where they go around the room and everybody's going like, praise Jesus, praise Jesus. And they're, sh- and they're waving their hands. And Selena Gomez is just like waving one hand to, you know, mimic that she's not that enthralled in it. I would have loved Val Kilmer to be like, wave both your hands. Wave both your hands for Jesus. <laughs> I would imagine he'd be there like, in the back, like taking like a c- cigarette and burning the sideburns off somebody's head. <laughs> Like he did during Lost I'm big. I'm big priest Perry. Okay. What else do I want to say about this dumb movie? Um, well, we didn't. We didn't do any of the real questions. That's what we have left, right? Well, I want to see what else I have to say about this movie because I feel like. Oh. Okay. okay. Well, well, even like the montage scene with well, the, Britney yeah, Spear, the Britney Spears. I mean, song. I, the Britney Spears every time sequence, where again they are they are robbing Spring Breakers. I know at one point they even go to a wedding. And they, uh, James Franco like thrust a guy's face into a wedding cake. Oh yeah, there's there's guns at temples at a wedding. It's it's pretty hardcore. That's the parts of this that are kind of bonkers in Gonzo because they do come out of nowhere and it's like, oh okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Then we we didn't even talk about the Gucci main sex scenes. <laughs> Is there anything to talk about? Is there anything that people haven't seen on their on Pornhub on their own? <laughs> well, okay, but like when you look at these, there's a scene in this movie where there's like two like obese women like kissing each other while showering. They're not obese. Like, They're thick. Okay, Zach. There's sure. a special terminology. They're not obese. Maybe they're uh, obese because of the uh, body mass index, the BMI. Maybe they're obese. They're thick. They're good looking, chunky women. Okay. Good lucky chunky women chunky women aside. <laughs> he's what's happening is that they're in the shower showering, like feeling each other, and Gucci Mane is sitting in like a hot tub smoking a cigar, just being like, Yeah, that's nice. While <laughs> Vanessa Hudgens and Ashley Benson are outside, like mowing down like dozens of gangsters. Oh yeah, they kill his entire security force, we're led to believe. I think they kill his entire crew. <laughs> They kill his manager. <laughs> they go through his entire thing. He does not hear any of this. Yep. Because he got great. two thick women in the shower. <laughs> he couldn't hear them over the shower water hitting the, the ground of the shower stall. <laughs> we also didn't talk about the twins. Oh, the twins. Well, they share everything. <laughs> Did you know that I looked up on like IMDB and as of like the last time they were... Uh, Apparently that was not ad lib. Apparently that was real. Those two twins apparently they got it for real that those two they actually share the same girlfriend in real life. Are you saying that's a bad thing or something we should admire? No, I'm just pointing out the reality of the situation. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, without condemning or condoning. Should, that's something we should admire. <laughs> All right. R- R- Rob, do you think do you think these are the same twins that they model the twins in The Matrix Reloaded after? God. You know the one the the albino pale ones that shifted through the floor. That I, I think they're a blend of the twins in this movie and James Franco because of the cornrows. Ah, there you go. 
There you go. All right, because Rob obviously cannot hold the conversation at this point. Rob, cinema <laughs> and or late night. Movie. I know we can go everywhere with this movie. I think this is a one hundred percent a cinemodity. I think that you know I watched this movie and like I said it before, even though I might not understand what the vision is, I can tell that a vision is there, and that's one of the best things I can pick up from a film. Whether or not I get it, if you can show me some creative direction i will latch on to it forever and that's exactly what i find this film to be i don't think i get it whether it's about female empowerment or not but i absolutely love what it's going for cool beans uh yeah i cinemati yes late night movie yes i think i have a little bit better of a grasp on this movie than most people do because i've i've been analyzing it since day one i haven't been kind of uh condescending to it or or looking down at it and yeah i think uh cinemati without a question because this movie did not it's shocking how little uh, money this movie made okay. good thing good thing that it didn't cost any much that much to make <laughs> Uh, I think we made thirty million dollars worldwide, which is kind of shocking in retrospect. But wow, yeah, that's 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 very low. I don't get me wrong; this is never going to be a film that was going to make a uh, uh, hundred million dollars. But you'd think it would get to at least thirty domestic. Late night movie, I think that's definite. I think this is one of those things where um, I I still think you have to gauge your audience on this because there is a lot of nudity, and, and a lot of people would be turned off by this, and. and and probably the, the repetition. If anything, the repetition okay. would probably be more jarring for people than the the nudity and just kind of the obscene acts that are being committed. Sure, sure, I could get behind that. Absolutely. So, Rob, what are we eating during during this movie? Oh, um, I have I have three snacks that I thought of. Wow. And and I'm going to start with. It's not the first one that I wrote down, but I think it's the most. Uh, prescient. It's the most important because Zach knows who he's talking to. In this movie, we get to see quite a bit of use of this and I think that just like Zach always says, we don't have enough drinks in the Cinemodities restaurant. My first pitch for Spring Breakers is alcohol. Shocking. Just, we're gonna have a bar. It's never been said but we should have a bar, right? Like, if somebody wants to come in and drink some gin, drink some rum, drink some whiskey, drink some absinthe, why not, right? We should have that liquor license. What do you think? I think that kind of went without saying, based on half the other stuff we were doing at this restaurant. But sure, we can have a liquor license. Okay, so we're going to need a liquor license. Um, the other things that I have to pitch for snacks, I would like some type of menu item that is related to food taken from Big Arch's baby's mouth. <laughs> because in this film, we get that great scene of Big Arch that's, you know, Gucci Mane that Zach mentioned earlier, where Gucci Mane says something like, he's taken, he's taken our well-being, he's taken our livelihood, he's taken food right out of my child's mouth. And he's saying all this, as his cronies are cocking guns and he's holding a baby in his arms. It, it's, it's great, but I think that, you know, we should have something where the waiter brings out a baby in their arms and you pick out food from their mouth. You know, whether it be soybeans or edamame, I'm thinking this should be an appetizer. 
We have food taken directly from Big Arch's baby's mouth. What do you think? It makes as much sense as anything else at the Samadhi's restaurant. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, Rob, you broke up. I haven't heard anything you've said for the past year. <laughs> <laughs> I have one more pitch for snacks, Zach. And it's something that I think is very necessary that we have not yet talked about for the Cinemodities restaurant. We need a smoking lounge. We need an area for people who want to smoke anything, whether it be tobacco, whether it be marijuana, whether it be lettuce, whether it be corn silk. We should have a room for our patrons to go and smoke. But, Zach, if you remember, in this film, Spring Breakers, we get a very, very quick shot during the first 30 minutes of the spring break atmosphere where somebody is smoking what I can only imagine is marijuana out of a baby doll, out of a, out of a full baby doll that little girls play out of. They have the bowl of weed in the mouth, and we literally get to see somebody inhaling out of the baby's crotch. Do you remember this? Yeah, I remember it. I think that is exactly what we need in the Cinemodities restaurant. You go into the smoking lounge, and it's like, hey, you want tobacco? You want a spliff? You want marijuana? I don't want to offer anything other than that for right now. No heroin right now. You know, We're not getting crazy. No opium. But I would love to offer our customers, hey, do you want to smoke out of a baby's So much has to be edited out of this episode. <laughs> not, not so much edited out of this. You're going to hear a beeping sound for the last, like, five minutes. That is my, that is my last snack, Zach. And it's going to be edited out of the podcast. I love it. I love when you edit my snacks. I, I, I'm going that to edit That means it's the out. best snack. <laughs> Good. It'll be a snack that no one's ever going to hear. Um, what do you think? Did you, what did you have in mind? Um, because now I, either all of my thoughts have been bleeped out or there's one that was left in. Uh, but what did you have, Mr. Snackmaster, for Spring Breakers? Uh, because I had to bleep out the phrase smoking out of a baby's <laughs> um, I, I decided to take the much more conventional approach. And I figured that at one point in the film. But in they, there, you have to understand in there I said that I smoked weed out of a foosball player's it's all going to be edited out, and you're, it's, uh, no one will ever know. No one's ever going to what, know about What do you story. have against smoking <laughs> So my my snack is they robbed the chicken shack at one point. So I figured we, can ha we have to figure out what's on the menu at the chicken shack, and we will offer that as a chicken dinner at the Cinema Hotties restaurant. <laughs> it's getting bleeped out every single time you say it now. <laughs> There's going to be a disclaimer at this point, too. I, I'm sorry, audience. I'm sorry you have to hear the I don't know sound. why Zach is so upset about the phrase smoked crap. Anything, there it is again. The, you know what? That's the funniest thing I've thought of this year on Cinemodities, smoked There it is. You know what? Smoked, you keep saying. What do you, you want to, what about smoked frog crap? It's a French well, delicacy. Well, it's still going to be bleeped out. <laughs> I'm gonna have to, considering that we just recorded our year-long episode anniversary, there's gonna be an explanation at the beginning of this saying that there's gonna be no mention of snacks because Rob was inappropriate. Shouldn't that be every episode? <laughs> well, you know what? There's an extra warning on this episode. 
I'm so sorry, what? Zach. I'm sorry, Zach. What was your snack? What did you say? <laughs> Moving on. So, <laughs> Rob, how are we going to end this episode? Oh, uh, well, I think ending this episode, we should absolutely play with the Skrillex song we mentioned before, Scary Monsters and Nice Sprites. Let's play that in reverse and see how it sounds. What do you think? Is anything that makes this episode come to an end. These, whenever you say that, Zach, these are my favorite episodes. <laughs> That's good. Never would have thought there'd be another episode that could possibly live up the jingle all the way, but you know what, folks? No, no. okay. No, this was nowhere near the awesomeness that jingle all the way was. <laughs> one, one man's awesomeness, another man's disaster. Fantastic. Well, let's let's uh, play that Skrillex song in reverse. And, you know, uh, this was just our release. I think I speak for both of us when I say this was our release from the hell that is Avengers that we're be, we will be discussing the rest of this month. So, uh, no, no, at this point, there, next week's episode is the Endgame episode. Yeah, so, so we, we need to uh, save ourselves, save our sanity. And I think this is a great kind of case study on how Rob and Zach do that individually. <laughs> yes, by smoking out of baby c- uh, yeah, yeah, bleep it out.